I was just watching television and I sort of glanced over and I thought, oh, there's something there and looked back again. And then there was this apparition. It was this gorgeous, probably 45, 50 year old woman. She had kind of, you know, one of these exotic beehive type things on top of her head. And she was just sitting there watching TV with me. And I thought, my God, this can't be real. So I, I shut my eyes. I thought, no, she'll go away. I'm just seeing things. This will go away. And I looked back over and she was still there. And I just turned to her and said, well, I hope you're enjoying the show. Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado, and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound, and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of sacred journeys, spirit encounters, near-death experiences, angels, mysteries, marvels, and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary people reveal their extraordinary encounters. I acknowledge the Darawal people who are the traditional custodians of the land of Sutherland Shire in Australia, where I live and record Spirit Sisters, and I recognise their continuing connection to lands, waters and community. I pay respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to Spirit Sisters. I'm your host, Karina Machado. Welcome to our special Halloween episode. I thought it only fitting that I share a haunted house story today. And what makes it extra special is that I had the opportunity to catch up with Nell Jones, whose story features in my book, Where Spirits Dwell. Nell is a retired teacher and a writer who lives in Stockton, a beachside suburb in the New South Wales city of Newcastle. The traditional custodians of these lands and waters are the Awabakal and Waramai peoples. In 2000, Nell bought a derelict, century-old cottage that had once been a general store. The home signified a fresh start for Nell and her then-teenage daughter Caitlin, but as they would come to discover, they'd have to share their home with a cast of spirit visitors. From a vintage dame in a stylish frock to a smelly coal miner and little girls playing in the backyard, the place was packed with ghosts, as a paranormal investigator would declare. At the height of the haunting, Nell called in the investigator from the Australian Institute of Parapsychological Research. His name is Rob Tilley, and there's a chapter about his case files in Where Spirits Dwell. As Nell shares in our conversation, Rob performed a house clearing, but even all these years later, Nell still has a sense that she has company in her home. Enjoy Nell's story about her beloved home, Portal to the Past. Hi, Nell. Welcome to Spirit Sisters. Hi, Karina. How are you? I'm very well. And we were just saying before pressing record that it's been about 12 years since we last spoke. That's right. Yeah, that's a long time ago. I mean, it doesn't seem that long ago, does it? But um, that's over a decade. That's ages ago. It's incredible. Time has just flown by and I really love the opportunity today to speak with you, Nell, because your story about an amazing little house in Newcastle, New South Wales, is in my book, Where Spirits Dwell. And goodness, a lot of spirits were dwelling in there. They certainly were. (laughs) So tell us about your home and what led you to Newcastle. Well, I 
I was living in the city, I think I um, referred to this before, I was living in Sydney, I'd lived there for quite a while and I wanted to buy a, a house and so where I sort of grew up in the east of Sydney, you know, I loved all the old terraces, I lived in Surrey Hills, I just loved the atmosphere and I didn't really want to move further out. So I decided to try north and I kind of heard about Newcastle and I knew that in 1999, um, BHP was going to close and I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to come north, find something nice, a nice build, old building, because I knew the city was going to reinvent itself. Um, and so I found this, I came over the bridge at, um, didn't even know about Stockton where I'm living, came over the bridge and started driving around this gorgeous peninsula and just went, wow, this is like a beautiful little village, a little town almost on Newcastle Harbour and catch the ferry across. Um, the days of the vehicular ferry have gone, of course, but, you know, you could sort of live in a beautiful, quiet, peaceful place with a river and a beach. And and I found this gorgeous old house, this old shop, and uh, it was built, I suppose, I think about 1910, and it was derelict. It had no hot water. Uh, the roof was falling in. The back room was sinking into the, the back of the sand at the back of the house. But I thought, wow, look, I can afford this and I can probably over time, you know, just borrow some more money. As, as you know, you get a bit more equity in your house and do it up. And so it's taken me about 15 years. I've been here since I uh, bought the place in 2000 and I've been here um, since 2001. So, um, yeah, the house was okay for a few for a few years. It didn't seem, there was always a funny kind of feeling in here. But, you know, growing up in old houses, you kind of had that expectation that there's, you know, creeks and, you know, houses are old and the house heats up when it's hot and when it's cold, it creaks down. But it became pretty evident after a couple of years that there was definitely lots of other people living here with me. And um, so it took a while to adjust to that. And, you know, the sightings became... Um, I think I told you before, you know, started to actually see things, it just started to get more and more. And then it wasn't just myself or my daughter, who was only 12 when we moved here. Um, other people in the family or friends started to feel and see things. And so, you know, all my logic to kind of say, well, look, the, this can't be happening was just getting a little bit too um, obvious to me that there was there was an energy in this house and there were lots and lots of different types of energy that perhaps, you know, some of them were angry, I think, some some really awful things were happening. But there was also some nice little peaceful things. So I, I started off by really trying to research the history of the house and to find out what had happened. I mean, my initial thought was, gee, somebody's died here and, you, you know, you'd have to expect, I suppose, a 100-year-old house that there could have been somebody that died, but that didn't necessarily mean that their spirit was here. So I guess that led me, after I researched the house and found out, you know, who owned it and the life of it, it became kind of clear in a way that I was living on Warramai land. I'm in a, in a little kind of peninsula that would have had many, many sand dunes and, you know, through research found out that, yes, there were people, Aboriginal people that lived here and that perhaps, you know, there was some sort of spiritual thing going on. That's mm -hmm. what I initially thought, you know. 
So now let's just backtrack a little bit. So first of all, tell us when you first walked into the house, did you have any impression, initial impression about it? It felt it felt old and abandoned, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. there was sort of this feeling. It was like just, yeah, and there were spots where you kind of, you know, you'd walk around and you'd go, oh, oh, that feels a bit weird. Like there was little cold spots. So I think... I, did, I wasn't overcome by that. I didn't kind of go, oh, wow, I can't live here. You know, I didn't have that feeling. I have walked into other places during my life and I've gone, oh, I'm not going into that room. There's something bad in there. I did not get that feeling. It was kind of, it kind of grew over time, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned that your home does have quite a colourful history in that, and you said it was a shop. Tell us a yes. little bit more about its history as a building. Okay, well... The land was sectioned or carved up to be sold in about 1887, I think. And uh, the Fairless family came to live here and they they ran a general store. And they ran that for about 30 years and then it sort of changed hands a few times. And then it became a vet. And I think it was a vet for about maybe 20, 25 years. And then it reverted back to being a general store, but it was a very poor general store when I bought it. You could see that it was just sort of, um, I don't know, you know, it was pretty basic. They probably just sold milk and bread in the end in the 90s, and then it just became a private residence. Okay. So there's definitely, um, you know, there's definitely that feeling of that old family here, and I've got lots of old photographs. Um, which assisted me in restoring the house to how it looked in the 1920s and 30s. So I put a big awning back onto the front of the shop. Um, and, yeah, so it's, it's, I'm sure that there's been hundreds of colourful characters and living next door to a very old pub as well. There's a, next to me there's a pub. So there's kind of a, an, an energy on the corner. My street is halfway up the peninsula from the harbour where you catch the ferry but up until the 1990s, sort of there was a ferry at the end of my street. So there's a little marina and the ferries would take the workmen across to BHP. So the street actually is a very, it's a, like a boulevard, Hereford Street. It's got shops on both sides. So you can see the relics of, of time gone past. This was, you know, people would get off the working ferry. They'd walk up here, grab some things from the general store as they went home. I mean, supermarkets weren't a huge thing in those days, I suppose. And then you had the sort of more main street down by the, the harbour ferries. Okay. So it's a definitely, it's a very historical centre of town, I guess. So you said that when you first moved in with your daughter, who was 12 at the time, things were quiet for a couple, a good couple of years. Yeah. Tell us, what was the first sign that there was something unusual happening? Well, I think the first sign was, the um in the kitchen there we noticed that there was these awful smells in there like around the stove and there's a shop and an old cottage attached to the back of the shop and sort of like a little aisleway or a little space and every time you walk through the back of the shop into the house this kind of oh, I don't know the hair used to just stand off on the back of my neck and you'd get this cold feeling and this smell and so it was like a, a homeless person's you know something somebody who was hadn't washed for a long time no that sounds terrible but that's what it smelt like and we started smelling that and then we then we noticed just little waves of things I, I can't really explain that it was um 
And then sort of things started to appear. So I actually saw like this old dishevelled man that just appeared near my, he kind of went between the shop and the house and then he was near the, um, near my stove. And I thought, oh, this, <laughs> this can't be happening. But um, he was a little, he looked like a little old miner. And that was really my first solid experience. And, you know, I got scared for a few months and then I thought, well, look, you know, he, things were moving and um, I'd hear little rattles and little creaks and so I started talking to him and I'd say oh you know stop that stop making those noises or stop changing I don't know things were moving that little keys on the back of the door would rattle sometimes a door would slam you know that would be unexplained so then I had a funny conversation because you don't really like to say these things to people because they they think you're a bit crazy so I said, happened to say to my neighbour one day, oh, you know, like, have you ever had any funny things going on in your home? And she said, oh, yes, we've got this dirty old miner that comes into our hallway. And then I found out the woman across the road also did. So he was kind of house jumping, which was bizarre to me and sounded so unbelievable, you know. Yeah, that was the first kind of sighting that I went, okay, there's, there's something more here than just an old house creaking. Mm. So now let's jump into that sighting in a little bit more detail. So could you set it up for us? Because this was the first apparition, full body apparition you saw in the home and you did go on to see more and we'll talk about it all. But as this was the first one, just set it up for us a bit. So were you in the kitchen popping the kettle on and then you felt something and turned around and you saw this stranger, this disheveled elderly man what what happened? Yeah, I was just, I think, making dinner. I mean, it's a good long while ago. I think I was just making dinner or in the kitchen doing things. And, of course, I could smell this smell and I could feel this presence. I could feel something. And this guy just was lurking around my stove. And he, it was like he was watching what I was doing. I don't know whether he was watching me cooking or... And he was just there for, a, like, maybe 10 seconds or more. And then he was gone and I went, oh, gosh, you know. But then I came back through the back of the house and I could still feel him and I knew that then I started to realise that I think he was hiding in this darker area of the house, but he just wanted my attention. He just wanted me to know. He must have realised because I'd been talking to him and sort of, you know, like a naughty kid saying, oh, stop that, stop moving that or, you know, go and have a shower or whatever it was that I was saying to him he sort of just wanted to let me know that he was there and he he didn't seem threatening he had like a really dirty old beard a dirty old hat really dark clothes he looked like he came from the 19th century I couldn't really tell that much and couldn't see he was transparent but not transparent I think more opaque so you could see some details, but you couldn't really see his face terribly well because his whole face was all kind of, the hat was over, the, the, the beard was there. You could see that he was dirty. And he just, that was the first time. And so he just disappeared back into between the shop and the house. And every time then from any time I walked past there, I was freaking out because I go, my God, he's in there. <laughs> Is he going to come out? Or, yeah, he felt like he was going to touch me or something, you know. And we hadn't had any experiences of um, being touched or had things taken yet. So it was like it was like he was just 
saying, hey, I'm here. Be aware. Be aware that I'm here and this is my space and you are in my space, you know. And how um, far away from you do you think he was when you first spotted him? Oh, not even half a metre. Oh, gosh. That's yeah. right in your space. Yeah, right in my space. Yeah, so that really kind of freaked me out, yeah. And the weeks went on and I didn't see him again and my daughter was, she hadn't seen him, I don't think, but she she said there was something weird in her room. So maybe he'd been going into her room, I don't know. And it wasn't, that kind of went on for a while and it wasn't, it was a little bit further down the track. This lady knocked on my front door and she said, look, you know, I don't know you sort of thing, but I'm, I'm a clairvoyant. And I just want to say to you that there's somebody, an Aboriginal girl, or there's somebody buried under your concrete slab in the shop. And I just thought, well, how bizarre that you would just knock on my door randomly. So that kind of cemented my idea, I suppose, that, yeah, this is just not me. This is other people are noticing it that are walking by, which was I can't bizarre. imagine what it would be like to have a stranger knock on your door and say something like that. That must have just been just uh, utterly extraordinary for you now. It was. It really was. Um, you know, I said to her, well, do you know what happened to this person? Do you know where they are? She said, no. I think she said, you know, if there's somebody, something has really bad has happened to this person. And that's kind of getting back to the history where I was trying to research um, what nation, like I knew the Waramai people lived here, but, you know, what section of the Waramai, which I think were the Myangle, um part of their group, the nation. And I thought, well, perhaps, you know, because it was sand dunes, it's such an old area, um, you know, I knew convicts who'd been lime burners on the peninsula. There were, there were all kinds of things that were going on here in the early 1800s. I mean, there were young, um, there were people working from Newcastle. It was settled in 1804 when they tried with the convict settlement. So I thought, well, this could make sense. You know, perhaps um, somebody has killed this girl, you know. And, yeah, so that that kind of really started to get me thinking. And then, of course, I was really switched on all the time after that. I thought, well, yeah, I've got to really start to uh, keep an eye on things because every little thing that happened then became a story, if you know what I mean. Like it was like, mm. why is this happening? Whereas before it was so easy to logically say, oh, you know, that could have happened, the wind might have blown the keys on the back of the door or the door, you know, you just try to get logic into it. So what I started to do was, I started to do automatic writing. Um, I'd always been into, into that sort of thing. I, I used it on a couple of occasions to try and contact my great-grandmother. And I kind of got this voice that was coming through saying her name was Sylvia. Now, that's not an Aboriginal name or an Indigenous name, of course, but that's what I was getting. So I don't know if it was mixed messages, but, you know, she was saying, yes, I'm buried here. And then you start to think, oh, is that me? inventing that or is this but it was a very strong feeling and I just kept writing and and then I was really convinced I thought yeah there's just something and it was always in the kitchen yeah I just thought that that's interesting that she's saying the front room I'd seen this miner there and there seemed to be this really concentration out there at the front room where this energy was so yeah so that's kind of yeah, I was just going to say that uh, 
you did go on to get further confirmation about the Indigenous girl, maybe more than one on your property or That's right. yeah, or having a connection to your property. And we'll go into that. But um, I'm just going to unpack a little bit more because I've gone through our original transcript. So I'm yes. going to jog your memory about okay. some points. And there was one really interesting thing that happened. And I believe that in terms of the chronology, it was early on. Yep. But I thought I'd bring it to your attention. It was when you had some friends staying over and they woke in the night because there was something very, very odd going on in your office. Tell us about that. Yes, I had a very dear friend, two dear friends over and they, my house has only got two bedrooms. So they're opposite our bedroom having their stay over for the weekend. And they were working in the night. I don't know if they were talking in bed or, but they must have still been awake. And my other, my, one, the girl, the woman, I think she has a little bit of a, a bit psychic, but she definitely denies it. Anyway, they started hearing the typewriter, like the keyboard on my typewriter, um, you know, on my computer was typing. And so my friend got up and he said, look, you know, I can hear this typing. And he didn't want to turn the light on. I can't really remember if he saw the keys being pushed down. And so they were so freaked out. You know, they woke us up and said, you know, we can hear stuff and we could all hear it. It was on and off. It went all kind of on and off through the night. You could just hear something typing. And I thought, well, that 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 was the first, like, time that actually objects were being manipulated in the yeah. space. And that, yeah, I, then I started to think, well, look, you know, if other people can hear this, this is serious. <laughs> yeah. it's so where where and, was your computer, Nell, in which room? Uh, in the room I'm sitting in now. So, so my not, bedroom is just there, just around the little hallway, just uh -huh. around the corner. So it's really easy to hear. And, of course, in those days it wasn't a laptop. I think, you know, 12 or, you know, a long time ago we had the old, you know, monitors and that. So I think it was, the keyboards were actually louder. If you remember those little I keyboards. do. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're very loud, yes. Yeah. So that was that was strange. And, you know, ever since then my girlfriend that comes and stays she sleeps with me or she doesn't stay the night at all <laughs> she's totally freaked out since that night she's oh. terrified you know so that's amazing Nell and and another thing that's quite interesting about that is that there was nothing you and your guests could do about it it was going oh. on and so yeah. life had to go on you you three or four all had to just go back to sleep that's <laughs> right you could yeah. while the typing was going on and I've always found that that juxtaposition of the, the two worlds colliding, a very interesting space to, to yes, kind of dwell in. It's like, you know, what is happening here? But yet, you know, the tropes of your normal life, that all just has to continue. That's right. And that's interesting you say that because it is this space that unless you've experienced it, it is like you're not, you're not asleep you're awake but you're kind of in another space that you can't really explain to somebody and you and that becomes very you become very aware of that as all these things were going on you're right you know you go back to sleep and you think what if I go back to sleep what will happen you know will they come and get me <laughs> or will they you know so you just I mean it's just bonkers really but it's the energy I think that I really noticed that you know when this was going on the the air felt a bit electrified or electric you know and cold there were spots that were cold so yeah that was mm. 
that was pretty freaky. I can relate to that air feeling electrified, though I've never seen an apparition as so many of my guests have described. I have felt exactly what you've just described, that sense of the air being electrified. And it's mm. a very, it's quite unsettling. It is it? unsettling. Yeah. It is unsettling because it doesn't go with your normal, you know, the way that you you feel things, I guess. So it's not, you don't become fear, like struck with fear. It's just like you're, yeah, it's like you're being pushed into a space that you can't see and your whole body is reacting to that, if you know yeah. what I mean, you know. And so, Neil, I believe and uh, I think it came after the t- computer typing yeah. in the chronology that you began to see orbs. Yes. And this, I think, was before seeing the minor. You actually saw orbs with your eyes, not Yes, with that's your right. Finger. Yes, yeah. that's right. So, yeah, you'd just be sitting down in a room and um, it still happens to me now. I don't really, I haven't seen the orbs for years and years. But you always get this feeling at the side of your eyes that there's something there, like a shadow or a little white wispy thing. And then if you turn to look, you just see these orange orbs. And, you know, once I researched, I could see them, a few of them, like lurking around my room at night, I'd see them. And I thought, well, look, I had very limited knowledge at that time, but I thought that can't be good. That's what that means the energy has some has what is that is it a negative energy within this space so I did a little bit of research and then I realized that this could be a malicious spirit or some sort of thing that could turn into a poltergeist and I'd never in my life considered that I'd be seeing a poltergeist but that's what I believed it was and Many years later, I think since I have spoken to you, I did send you a few weeks ago, I had the Hunter Paranormal people had heard about my home after the book and Rob Tilly came to see me and cleared the house. Um, They were very interested. And, I mean, this was after the clearing. Um, They were very interested to come and camp out for the night. And they filmed these orbs. And so, you know, that really, I saw them on camera and it's like, well, you know, it wasn't just me seeing them. They are they are still there. I think when there's a lot of stress or, you know, upset in your life, I think they come back in a way. Like I've noticed in the last few weeks, there have been these wispy feelings again. I haven't seen the orbs. Not that I've been upset. I haven't been very well recently, but... I think it's kind of an energy, you know, that comes yeah. when they know the house, like when you've got a teenage daughter. There's all there's a lot of angst. Yes, and you, you mentioned know. poltergeist activity and your sense that the orbs might have been a precursor to that, and that was borne out by events. So I was yeah. about to ask you about that next because I believe that the next thing that happened was the activity did be- begin to amp up quite significantly and that did coincide with your daughter now being around the age of 14 yeah common age for uh teenagers you know within a home that there's poltergeist activity going on very often there's a teenager of that age it's very interesting you know we don't know exactly what that's about but as you suggested it could well be that energy of angst and stress and and perhaps even combined with some sort of dormant psychic mediumship Yeah, I think so, yeah. You have those talents. So, And I know that your daughter has had her own experiences and we might touch on that later. But so this happened and uh, you remarried, I think, Nell, and and there was some tension, I think. Yes, there was. And so then all this began to manifest within the home and you you said something quite interesting when we chatted. You, You said, and I believe it was at this point in the chronology, and I'm quoting you from our original interview, 
you said, whenever I closed my eyes, there would be these four old people and I could never understand what they were saying, but they were just rabbiting on and that was really weird. (laughs) And then then they started to appear, you said. So it began sort of with an eyes closed sense of these four people and then you call them the dead rellos. <laughs> and and a lot of these instances weren't negative. You talked about them stroking your hair. And so yeah. this, this perhaps relates to that peaceful pocket that you, you mentioned. Yeah. Tell us about this time, about first having that sense of them and then when they began to appear. Yeah, as you said, like I'd noticed this very strong, these strong images when I closed my eyes at night and, you know, I could hear, I could see these old faces and I could see them mouthing things but they were talking to me but I couldn't actually hear you know like what they were saying and then so I sort of started putting two and two together and my daughter kept saying to me mum there's something weird in my room she wasn't having she couldn't she wasn't at this point seeing anything she was just getting really really excuse me really bad feelings in her room I think it wasn't long after that that I saw the old lady on the couch out in my back room and this, like, 1940s lady just sitting there watching TV with me. That's my favourite story. So (laughs) I'm going to drag that one out of you in forensic (laughs) detail. So we'll come back to that. Definitely these, um, these images, I mean, things like you'd just be lying in bed and you would feel like, I don't know, footsteps or somebody touching the doona and then you'd feel this stroking and, you know, I'd see these images first and, of course, my grandmother had passed and I was very close to her and I thought, well, this is just Nan and, and you know, but then it became a little bit intrusive, like I'll be feeling it, my husband felt it as well, someone walking on the bed. He claimed that someone tried to hold him down and strangle him. I wasn't here that night. I was with my parents, I think. Um, because I would have certainly heard that commotion going on. But um, you did start to feel this presence and it was, this was starting to step over the line, if you know what I mean. It was like, you know, okay, I, I was fine having the feelings and smelling and seeing things that, I mean, that was sort of, you know, pretty scary. But when things were like coming into your mind and then coming into your bedroom and touching you at night, um, that was just beyond, you know, I thought, well, now these orbs, are are these the orbs? Are they malicious? Maybe they're not ancestors, they're not relatives being nice and, you know, showing themselves this is kind of something that's got, that's quite, well, I don't think, I don't believe in evil, but I think it was something that was malicious. I think that's probably the best words. Yeah, so I started to get quite frightened with that. Because everybody, you know, you could feel breathing on the back of your neck sometimes if you're brushing your teeth in the bathroom. There was just this presence. There were presents everywhere mm. and not all. And I think the best way to describe it is that they weren't all the same. So some of them might have been malicious. Some of them might have been this wonderful maybe relatives that were trying to get through and tell me something or reassure me. And then there was really the unknown, you know, were they going to be poltergeists? Yes, so it was a combination of spirits. And then you mentioned Rob Tilly, who worked for the um, Parapsychological Association, and he later confirmed that there was there was a whole host of spirits spirits in your house. A lot of interestingly, you there's also another story which 
we'll, we'll come back to that as well. But the instances of you being uh, beginning to see the four people, the, the, the ones that you thought could be ancestors, that followed some really interesting research that you'd done into your family, Nell. And there's a wonderful story around that too. Yeah, yeah. And, and I do want you to share that, but I think let's stay for for a minute with the chronology of the apparition. So you mentioned the lady on the couch in the 1940s clothes. Take us back to that night and how you met her and what you saw and what happened. Okay, well, I was actually home alone and I was just watching television and I have like a <clears throat> an armchair that I was sitting in a little couch and I sort of glanced over and I thought, oh, there's something there and looked back again and then there was this apparition. It was this gorgeous, probably 45, 50-year-old woman. She had kind of, you know, one of these exotic beehive type things on top of her head and she was just sitting there watching TV with me. And I thought, my God, <laughs> this can't be real. So I, I shut my eyes. I thought, no, she'll go away. I'm just seeing things. This will go away. And I looked back over and she was still there. And I just turned to her and said, well, I hope you're enjoying the show. <laughs> and I said something like that because I was just like, what? And, you know, she just was there and then she was gone again. So I'd say two really good sightings of her there within the space of five minutes. And, and I sort of started to think, it's interesting you said about the four people that I kept seeing, and I thought, yeah, maybe she's one of them. Yeah, I just felt this cold spot and then she was gone. So, But I have never seen anything so clear. She had lovely shoes. She had she just looked straight out as she, she walked off the catwalk in the Women's Weekly, you know, 1950s fashion pages. That's what she looked like to me, you know. Oh, amazing. And what was yeah. her dress like? Oh, it was had like blue and yellow kind of like, you know, those like big flowers. I think it was white or blue and it had all these beautiful coloured flowers all over it. At the waist, you know, lovely hugging, the pointy boobs, this gorgeous hairdo, you know, and she was very dark. She was very dark. And, I mean, now when I think it's not anybody that I know, when I saw her, I really thought, wow I'm imagining you but you or I'm not imagining I wasn't sure and then I thought but I don't know you I had this instinctive feeling that I there was no connection between myself and her I did when feel you, that when you say she was dark do you mean dark skinned no no she was just very I thought she looked quite Mediterranean like you know maybe Italian very dark brunette you know, mm. and no, she just didn't look, she wasn't Indigenous, but she just looked Mediterranean to me or Spanish almost, you know. How fascinating. So yeah. do you feel that she was attached to the home? I think she was attached to the home, definitely. I think she might have been around the 30s or 40s. Maybe she was a shop assistant. You know, Mrs. Fairless had a couple of shop assistants. Perhaps she came from there. She could have been a visitor. I mean, this space might have some meaning to her that we don't know about and you know perhaps she she's come back here because she feels you know um I had I had another funny incident which I didn't tell you the other day when I wrote to you but Mrs Fairless who ran the shop she had a son called Charles Fairless and he went to the first world war he became a captain and he was killed he was only a young man probably in his early 30s and that was something that I started to research, you know, when I was doing the house. And I thought, oh, I'll follow this up further. So I found a descendant in Stockton. He was his great nephew. And 
On the front of my house, there is a war memorial that Mrs. Fairless put up there for her son. It's got two sons, two palm trees and the men and gates that the Australian soldiers used to walk through to go into the battlefield, I guess, on the Somme, Passchendaele, those places. So I had a chat to him and he was kind enough to give me a photograph of this fellow. And he he said to me, would you put it in a frame and put it in your home? Because your home is, you know, that's well documented in Stockton. Everyone knows that's a, and she built the war memorial as well. She was a secretary, which is at the end of the street. Anyway, this fellow in a joke said to me, I've had insomnia for 15 years and I'm really happy that, you know, I can give you this photo. And I, we, that was just in the conversation, you know, where I just sort of, oh, I don't sleep well and this sort of thing. Anyway, I put the photo up in my front room and put it in a frame. I've got two photos of him now. And this fellow came back and saw me about two weeks later and he said, the day that I gave you that photo, I've never had a night since then that I haven't slept through the night. I don't have insomnia anymore. And I thought, wow, you know, this, going back to the girl on the couch, that perhaps all these people that were here, that there was some meaning here. Well, he, of course, this was his home before he went to the war. So he was, maybe he was lurking. He said, oh, I got this incredible feeling when I walked down the side of your house that his spirit, because we made that gesture, you know, maybe he's he's released. I don't know. It was just weird. Like that was, and this guy's like 65, 70. He just looked like an average Aussie guy who, you know, you wouldn't think would believe in spirits or ghosts or anything. But but that was a really amazing comment for him, I thought. Yeah, it's fascinating how these little connections can really be so significant in our lives. Like that gentleman said, the great nephew of the man who died in the war, how odd that he would feel that after years of insomnia, giving you that photo and closing the loop in some way has now helped him to sleep. Yeah, yeah. It's just fascinating because whatever truly is the mechanism behind that, the mm-hmm. fact remains, he can now sleep. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. maybe maybe that the spirit of that boy, Charles, you know, maybe he kept, maybe he wanted somebody to do something to, to acknowledge because, yeah. the, you know, this house, when I bought it, it'd probably been vacant for, you know, maybe two or three years, even though they, there was an attempt to make a little shop again. But maybe he felt that he had to come, but there had to be something to signify. Maybe he felt that, you know, the war memorial had no more meaning now, 100 years, and people didn't know that that was him and and that he wanted to come back to this space or be released from this space I'm not sure but yeah I'm not sure either of how it works but I've often had the sense doing these interviews as well Mm -hmm. that the whole point is just that we remember each other yeah we remember each other and and the part that we played in this huge tapestry of life that we just remember each other and and that gives us respite I Um, think so you know I mean I'm not particularly religious but I think these kinds of experience are almost religious because because what you're saying is I think that there is I mean I do believe very strongly in spirits not not just because I've seen spirits or seen ghosts but I have this very spiritual connection I think nature's uh, very spiritual and you know we we just as modern people we're not listening with you know we don't listen to clues that are in our space that there is which I think indigenous people have because there wasn't all this uh, light pollution, noise pollution. And so I think that's a pretty relevant point around that idea. 
Mm, I really like it. And and you're right about us not listening. And there's so much around us and within us to indicate that there's much more, although it's unseen for the yes. for the most for most of us yes. there. But there yes. are some of us who say yeah, yeah, and there's a lot, so much we can learn from the Indigenous cultures as well, just in terms of that listening and that connection to nature. Yes. That's a beautiful little uh, little side story there. Thanks for sharing that now. Okay, so now we're around the time that uh, Caitlin is around 14, 15, and, you know, as we said, notoriously powerful age for some poltergeist activity to manifest in certain circumstances so and some things began to happen that were really unsettling and I'm just um looking at my notes here so there were things like items going missing big items going missing small items going missing and some clothing that um very disturbingly was found shredded and in the bin and she was (laughs) culprit (laughs) what happened well you know as you said Excuse me, my daughter was, you know, and my marriage was fairly, it was a bit rocky at the time. Uh, My husband was Greek, very dramatic man, very spiritual. But I think for teenagers, new partner, there was that tension. And we started to notice, first of all, little things in the kitchen would go missing, a set of keys, a cup, a glass. They wouldn't turn up again. But then really big items. Um, My daughter in her room put her iPod onto charge and it was near the it was near the window she, you know she went to sleep I said good night to her that was there by the morning it had gone we just don't know where it went and and of course you know we thought oh you know teenagers she sold it she wants to get some money for it or whatever she swore black and blue that's not what happened and I did believe her money was missing things that you'd put down would turn up in a completely different room and then you'd have to sort of self-check yourself or you know you sometimes you we all walk into a room and say what am I in here for or I thought I put that on the kitchen table but no it was on the back like in just the weirdest spots and then eight of my husband's business shirts he was going down to Sydney he was working for three days and he said oh Nella I haven't got we'll have to put a load of washing on us I've got no shirts and then he went into the thing and I said well they're not in the wash and there was half his wardrobe had been wasn't there and I said well this is very strange and I don't know why we went I don't know why it must have been bin day must have been bin day and we looked in the bin and eight or nine of these business shirts were just ripped up sliced up and in the bin and of course he thought "Uh oh this is the teenager (laughs) but no but then it just yeah cds went what else went Oh look, just just little trinkets around, little cups, little little china things, and they were never to be seen again. And so that I think really that would have been about August of the year, and that really was the end for me. I thought this is now becoming really worrisome, and what am I going to do about it? And I didn't. I kind of contacted a clairvoyant, and I was very unsure about the legitimacy of those of some people so I never gave up too much information and one woman did come and she reckoned she could see the minor or she could smell the minor but there wasn't enough I didn't think she was reading the situation and so I you know we sort of spent an hour together and she went so then I started to google you know who can I speak to and that's how I found through the parapsychology through the Sydney Uni or 
I found Rob Tilly and I thought I have to do something. So we invited him to come, must have been the last, he, he was able to come up and see us on the last day of term of that year and then we were going on holidays. And my husband wasn't here, but my daughter was. And we went through the whole process with him with, with clearing the house. Because, you know, that, I mean, seeing ghosts or apparitions or a spirit and hearing some things moving around, yeah, okay, that's kind of not so bad. But when you're having items taken, that is actually interfering in the family and it's causing angst and um, anxiety in between people, I knew that really... I had to do something and I really wasn't even sure whether he'd be able to do anything you know you just it's all on the hop because I felt that I've I've always felt that I've got this sixth sense or I've got this I can hear and see things that other people can't but you know to find somebody that was really skilled I certainly didn't have the skills to do anything about it so that's really why I got Rob Rob in because I, I, I was just becoming scared and my daughter was becoming scared. We sort of said, well, we won't speak about it because we thought if we spoke about it, they might. There are these ghosts, I think, some of them that want to get your attention. Some of them are trying to make you, I think, the strokes on the bed is all about, I'm a relative, I want you to you know, feel good, That don't be sad that I've gone, I'm here, even though you've got no way, way of identifying who that person is. But this was on another whole level. There's you know. a combination of things in your home and, and yeah. Rob did go on to say that. I've got stories of Rob's, other stories of houses that Rob has cleared yeah. in where spirits dwell. So he, I haven't actually contacted him for years. I don't know if he still does this, but at that yeah, he point, does. he yeah. was, he does. Okay. Yeah. He, he clears homes. He knows how to do it. So he yeah. is a person with mediumship skills, yet he is very scientific in his orientation yes. as well, which is yes. very helpful. So it's very balanced interesting combo there yeah but that's why I liked him because he's yeah. so balanced yeah so what did he say when he walked in and I made reference to to it before but tell us about what he said and also when he got to the backyard okay well when he first arrived you know I invited him in and I did have my grandmother clock in the front room and that's a sort of an important part of the story but he came in and he said oh my goodness the, the place is packed with ghosts I went what do you mean I said what do you mean there's like four or five he goes no there's 40 there could be 50 here and I thought oh this can't be happening and he you know he went into my daughter's room and he said there's some very malicious souls in there there was three and there was a few the the minor guy there was some old guy that he saw that was bent over that he couldn't who resisted on moving on he was between the shop and the house so he said, look, there were a whole lot of people in here. Then he went out to the backyard and my yard's about, oh, it's fairly long and I have got a native garden and he went right out to the back and he got to the shed. He said, I can't go any further. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I can't intrude. He said that this is too powerful here. This is something Indigenous you know, he, and then I said, oh my goodness, like this must be this Aboriginal or Indigenous girl that was referenced to me before. And so he said, I can't come and clear that. He had to talk to his son, who I think is also involved, but he, I know he, I think his son had studied Indigenous. Yes, there was a connection mm. there that his son had, had studied it, as you said, and had connections with the elders yes, of the area. That's right. Rob went on to to consult with those elders yes, in terms yes. of next steps for that. So what he advised me to do about 
I'll just call her Sylvia. But what he advised me to do about her was go into the space and he said, you've got all these beautiful, like I've got some Sydney rock orchids right where he was, you know, saying that this feeling was. And he said, you know, you what you do is you sort of apologise and talk to the person and make it really nice. And so that's what I did for quite a while. I'd say, look, you know, I've planted these beautiful trees. They're for you. You know, they're native. I'm trying to recreate, you know, make a lovely space for you. So that's what happened there. And then when we came back into the house, like he did the whole, you know, we had to sit with my daughter and imagine that, you know, the house was covered and made it safe with, you know, beautiful white light. And there was a whole process. And then he spent about six hours going around and telling these ones to go to the light. And some of them were really didn't want to go. So it took quite a quite a long time. And then he noticed my grandmother clock. And I had that next to the fridge in the front room. And he said to me, I believe that that's a meridian, that you are on some sort of spiritual, maybe indigenous, but you're on a meridian and that, that maybe that's a portal. So I immediately moved that. He spent all this time clearing. And then he, he said there was two people that would still be here. They wouldn't move on, but they weren't malicious and they were women. and he said they had a very strong presence, they had a very strong relationship to this house. He said, look, I can't guarantee, but he said, I, they're not going to hurt you. You know, they're not, they're just here. And, of course, I told him about the, the 50s or 40s woman. I don't know if it was her, but they are still here. You know, I can feel them still, but they're not doing anything lately that's really terrible. So... That was great. That was the last day of school and my daughter and I were going up to join my husband up at Tamworth with his family. For We were going up for Christmas and for two weeks. And when we got home, there were these five sticks outside the shop door on the footpath. And you can understand it's a big wide footpath and kids play under the awning and, you know, the parents are in the pub. And these little sticks were, you know, one, two, they were like this, getting smaller. And I said to my husband, well, that's a bit weird, but, you know, Maybe some kids have been playing here. But when we got inside, there was the same five sticks on the other side of the door. And so I immediately rang, rang Rob, terrified that, you know, my God, what are they doing now? And he said, look, one of them followed me home in the car, which I thought was classic. And he said, look, because he's, so, he's got such strong abilities that he can feel it even on a phone call that you're making from city to city. He can feel that. He's incredible. And he said, no, he believed that that was the Indigenous spirits, that they were saying, hey, that's okay. Your house is good now and we thank you and, you know, you're safe and all will be well. But that was probably the weirdest thing that has ever happened to me in my entire life. I mean, I could not believe that when I saw it. Completely flummoxed. Astonishing. So what I'm picturing is that it was almost like a mirror image on either yeah, side of the door, yeah, the same yeah. formation of sticks, yeah, five sticks. Yeah. I don't know if you've got a photo of that. No, I don't have a photo. Okay. I don't know why I didn't take a photo. Well, sometimes, yeah, it's normal in these moments, though. Yeah, I've spoken so to so many odd. people. They go, oh, it just happened. And then, like, you're, you're so present in that moment. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. the thing is I did feel 
I took the sticks and I put them into the garden at the back. You know, I did what did go through my mind is maybe I could keep these sticks because they might actually have some sort of power or energy around them. But but I thought, no, don't muck around with this. So I just took them and put them in the backyard. I mean, they would have disintegrated by now. But when you're in that moment, it's it's very difficult to, I mean, you're just so focused on what's occurred rather than, oh, I've got to record this. I mean, now, like after sort of 2010 and the advent of all social media is much more prolific, I think you're more kind of, you're aware and like, you know, I had those people that came and filmed things. But in those days, it was just like, oh, my God, I've got to get these sticks out. Like, I, didn't, yeah. I don't know if my daughter saw them. She knows the story, definitely. But, um, you know, I didn't really want to traumatise her any further. That was a huge experience for her to go through, to sit with Rob and for her to, to go through through the whole process. I think it made her realise how strong her abilities are. I think for all of us that have these abilities, I think they are people just poo-poo them when you're young. You don't develop them because this goes back to that listening thing. You know, I know I can hear things. Like I've heard like 1950s and 40s radios playing in this house. You know, it's a quiet day and you just think, oh, yeah, someone's got the radio. And then my husband said, yeah, I can hear that. That sounds like, you know, 2KY back in the, you know, the day. Extraordinary. Um, so those, I think, I think she became scared of it. So I didn't really want to pursue that with her. And even to this day, she says, she stayed over with me on the weekend, you know, and she's lived with me, her and her husband, for a couple of years. And, you know, he, my uh, son-in-law has had experience of it. She wasn't so scared because I feel that perhaps she had her husband with her, you know, when they came back. But I think she kind of squashed it. I think she's probably more powerful than me if she really put her mind to it, you know. Oh, well, it seems like she was really perhaps even the engine of the experiences. Yeah, I think so, because Rob was in her room for ages and she felt that there was somebody in her wardrobe or there was someone in her wardrobe. There was somebody that was taking things. And, of course, getting back to the taking of things, you know, that was just you sort of think, well, okay, they've taken it, but where did they take it? And sort of, you know, Rob was conveying these stories to me that, you know, sometimes they get confused. They think that they're still living and they, they can hide it somewhere. It goes into the ether and, you know, and they might bring them back. And he did say to me after he cleared the house, you might find some of those things back. And I did get some things back, you know, just little cups, you know, a couple of funny forks or, you know, but we never got our money back, you know, we never got the iPad back. I think her phone was something happened to her phone. Um, so obviously, you know, I think I came into the space and maybe they didn't like it either, that we were here. You know, maybe they sort of were like, oh, hang on, we this is our place to dwell. And perhaps they thought that it was, excuse me, the 1940s when they were living here, you know, that kind of thing. So you're in my space. How can I get you out? Yeah, it's possible. But what I did want to ask about just Mm -hmm. in terms of the going back to the the Aboriginal girl, Sylvia. Mm -hmm. So I know that you saw her, Nell, at one point, but also your sister-in-law when she came today, which is, again, one of the most fascinating aspects of your story is how widespread the activity was and how many different characters came and had experience. So tell us about what happened that day. Okay, so I think it might have been Easter and my brother and he's he's got three kids. We all took the kids, my brother and I, because my sister-in-law was studying. 
So we said, look, we'll take the kids for a walk on the beach. You go in the front room and, you know, use your computer. So it started off in there for her that weekend. She felt this breathing and this smell down her neck, you know. And then, you know, she told me when she came in, oh, there's something in your kitchen, like I've had something breathing down my neck. She's also a person who had experiences when she was a child. So I think she had a very strong psychic ability. And then over the course of the weekend, uh, I've got a little garden where the garden is at the back little table. And she was sitting out there doing something. We were all getting, and it was it was dark. And she said she saw in the distance in the in the garden these three little girls playing and she thought they were indigenous and she said they looked like they had little dresses on when children were taken away from their their parents trying to assimilate them in the 1800s and Sylvia and she, been an assimilated name yeah. yeah and you know and then so you do ask yourself well is this she might have seen something and, and is she putting two and two together um, and she gave quite a good description. She said they were just sort of playing and they zoomed in and out of the bushes. And and then the next day I saw them and I thought, oh, my God, they're going to come up. And I wanted them. I wasn't scared of them. I wanted them to come up. But they were just they were just there doing their thing. Just They just were playing. They didn't really, you couldn't hear them speaking or anything. But How far were they from you? Oh, not very far, two or three metres. I remember you telling me in the, our original interview way back when, that yeah. uh, that the girls, they were, again, just like your sister-in-law saw, they were wearing the white dresses, that yeah. sense of, you know, that that tragic assimilation. Yeah. And also that there was a sense that they, there was some neglect, that they were a little bit, you know, I remember you saying you even saw the detail of runny noses. on. Yeah, the- yeah, their runny noses and their hair looked kind of matted, you know, that sort of at the back it looked all a bit matted as though they'd slept on it or they hadn't washed or yeah they looked like little orphans that you know had been swept away from their parents and would have been a lot better off living with their own people and that's kind of what and they didn't have shoes on and it's that kind of really Victorian looking white you know that sort of oh that was just I couldn't believe what I was seeing you know but they weren't scary you know they weren't they probably did see us, but they weren't trying to scare us. They were just they were just on their plane. Again, getting back to this thing, I think this area has just got that, you know, there are people that are mixed up here that they think they're still living their life in the 1800s or the 1850s or the 1940s. It seems to be that kind of space where people are on a plane that they still think that they exist because so they haven't you, gone to the light. So you didn't get a sense that the girls were interacting with you at all. It was like no. you were getting a glimpse of a moment in time. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's how that really, and that's sort of what my sister-in-law said. She said it was like you were just an observer looking in. They weren't really aware of us. I mean, they must have seen us or seen her or seen me the day later, but they weren't involved in they weren't coming up to spook me or like these other experiences where you felt like they were trying to incringe on your space. So that's another entirely, it's, yeah, it was like, that's a good description. It was like a moment in history. Somebody just took the lid off and said, yeah, you can see what's going on here a hundred years ago. So then you went on to discover something about a house that might be yours that was described in a book called The Ghost Guide to Australia. Do you remember that part? Yeah, I do, yeah. 
There were a couple of things in there that were describing people seeing ghosts in Stockton. And there was one where I think the story went that the little baby sat up in bed. And in the same street, there was a, a woman was murdered in one of the shops. She had a boarding house and I think she was she was murdered. And so there was always these rumours that, you know, there were ghosts in that house. At, initially, I thought when they described this house, they didn't say what the address was. I thought, oh, my God, this is my house. This has to be my house that they're talking about. I must actually go and get that book out again, you know, because, gosh, that's like probably 15 years ago that I looked at it. But I became increasingly aware I mean you know Stockton's the second oldest suburb in Australia people came into you know Shortland came into Newcastle in 1797 you know they had a failed attempt at a, at a settlement to colonize I should say in 1801 and 1804 and so you know they were coming over to Stockton getting cedar getting lime and so you know I worked at the local school and I started t- talking to people saying oh you know these are all these experiences is Stockton very haunted? Are they rather? And then all of a sudden, it was like all these people that I knew said, oh, yeah, my house is haunted, you know. And then recently, actually, it's funny you say that because my niece, she's interested in ghosts. She's another one who won't stay the night. She won't even stay the night with me. She's so scared. But she said one of her colleagues wanted to know about my story and would I send her what, you know, the story that we did all those years ago. So I sent and he he apparently had found another story in Stockton where, you know, that these people had rented a place. It was so haunted. Their children actually, one of their children was taken from their bed or something and they found it in a cupboard under the stairs. Like this sort of thing, you know. So I think there's definitely something on this peninsula because there's just too many stories. Like another friend I was having coffee with yesterday, he's been, he's a builder restores beautiful old old homes he's been restoring a funeral uh, where they used to have the funeral parlor for people to view bodies the actual mortuary was across the road he's restored this house and he said I was alone in the house a few weeks ago and I was up the ladder and I nearly fell and someone started pulling my leg and you know he's just a guy he's not he was like he's a skeptic now that it's kind of out in the open people come up to me all the time and say oh yeah I had this experience and so there's something here Karina there is something here on this clearly now it's uh yeah well I think the history you know the history is something very it's a it plays a key role and you know there's a theory that places like battlefields or old hospitals or those kinds of places are very loaded because you know there was a lot of emotion that might have been to the moment of passing and that those things are recorded forevermore there's a theory that says every moment every thought everything is recorded forevermore anyway yeah I, I believe that I believe that I really do you know I mean I've always been suspicious that perhaps here on this this street particularly had a lot of sand dunes and of course we know that were my people they didn't bury you know they put them in the sand dunes when people passed and you know they the wind would blow because we've got the biggest sand moving mass in the southern hemisphere that's our beach but I've always been really aware that there could have been some sort of killings or something here that's some that there's some parts of my garden that just feel so there's just something not right about it there's some sort of feeling here that something nasty happened and I think it did involve Indigenous 
people, yeah. which wouldn't be unusual. I mean, the, the settlement, which was called Kingstown then, was very brutal, very brutal. So you just don't know, do you? You don't know. And the history, very sadly, of the tragedy, the brutality of the encounters between the settlers and the and the Indigenous people, it's steeped in blood. And it's yeah, it is. awful. Yeah. And we probably only know the tiniest little tip of that's, the iceberg. So you think that it's possible and you had Rob, you know, consult the elders as to yep. what to do and you did the beautiful ceremony. And, you know, yep. it's so interesting that that woman turned up out of the blue and knocked on your yep. door and said the I same know. thing. I know. But that felt more legitimate, made things feel a bit more legitimate for me. One of my feelings um, in the school where I worked, we had uh, two um, very lovely Indigenous workers that worked with us and I've been on country on to Warramai country through school. We stayed up there for three days and did activities and so on. And I have spoken to some of the elders about my property. I am trying to organise for them to come down because I would like them to come down and maybe do a ceremony and that's meaningful to them. Perhaps they have knowledge when they come here that they will be able to say to me, yeah, you know, there are bad spirits here or there is something that's not right and let's make it right. That can't happen overnight. It's a lot of consultation. But my friends at school said, yeah, do it, because they would be very interested to come down and this is their land anyway, you know. Mm. So, oh, I think yeah. that's beautiful that you've begun that process of healing yeah. for, for everybody involved, the yeah. girls, you know, their descendants, their ancestors, everybody. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really important to me because I think, it, you know, with the, all the experiences I have, had here I don't want to be reactionary I think I've got like inviting Rob was great because he obviously was able to send some people whatever reason they were here he was able to send them on and give them peace and they've gone to the light and that's really what you want I think there are elements here I mean still at night if I'm watching tv I can hear people walking I can hear creaks and it's the same creak and it's like someone is just standing next to my chair you know they're obviously not a peace or they could be two ladies or the spirits that Rob said were here they might just be joining in but it's unnerving I've accepted it and I don't worry too much about that but yeah my thing is about healing and making the space safe again or saying yeah you can stay here this is a safe space but you know please don't cut up my shirts (laughs) yeah so it's that's where it's religious in a sense or it's a spiritual experience because you can't just ignore the energy you can't ignore what what is here and if I can make that energy calm well that that only can benefit everybody that's lovely now I, I really yeah, appreciate those reflections and as we approach the end of our conversation now I just do want to hark back to one thing that um, I mentioned early on so just about our ancestors roles in our lives and so mm-hmm. You know, ancestors play a, a massive part in your story, the, the Indigenous ancestors as well as your own ancestors, I think. And I'd like to explore that idea of the ancestral ties with the spirits you saw. So there was a story about that happened years before you actually yeah. moved into your home and um, it was when your daughter was only about eight years old, but you had a very strange experience mm. in the hairdresser. Yeah. And- Tell us about what happened. Okay. Well, I was living in Surrey Hills and I went to an an unknown hairdresser that I'd never been to before, walked in, said, look, you know, I just want a haircut. 
and I could see straight away that she clocked me and she said, oh, you know, sit down. And she said, you know, you've been looking for somebody. You're looking for something. I'm getting a very strong feeling. And she said, would you mind taking your shoe off? And I thought, my goodness, what's this? And I had been researching my great-grandmother, who I know her whole story now, but in those days I was really, her name was Ethel Jones. I was searching for, you know, my grandfather was born without a dad. No one knew who his dad was. Not born without a dad, but you know what I mean? And and so there was this, I must have been carrying this incredible amount of information that I was strongly looking for my great-grandmother and her life story and trying to find out what happened to her. And she just started rubbing my foot and I thought, oh, well, I'll just go with this. And she said, look, I, you don't need to look any further. You are who the person you are looking for. All the answers are contained within you. You, you know the answers. And you can stop looking for and I went, oh, my God, like, how did she even know this name? And it was really strange. And when she said that, I thought, why did she get me to take off my shoe? Now, I later found out that Ethel's, my great-great-great-grandfather, Thomas Jones, was a shoemaker. He was a bootmaker. And so she must have had this strong connection that, you know, my great-great-grandmother had grown up with a shoemaker. There was some weird thing there anyway. But what she told me to do, which was the strange, she said, now, look, if you're trying to find the answers, I was trying to find who my grandfather's father was. She said, go home, light a candle and ask three questions. And then through the night, those questions will be answered. Whatever the burning questions you have about, you know, who's the identity or of this of your of her, um, your grandfather's father will all some, they'll, it'll come to you in the night. So we all go off to bed. I didn't tell my daughter, of course, and she was too little. So I lit the, in the kitchen sink, I lit this candle for safety so it could burn down. And then in the middle of the night, my daughter came and, you know, woke me up and said, Mum, I went to get a drink of water. There's an old lady sitting in the, in the lounge room. She looks like someone out of one of your photo albums, Mum, out of course, I've been a family historian, probably interested since I was 12, which is probably when I discovered that I had some psychic ability I guess you know this poor girl spent her all her school holidays in the state library or in, in cemeteries you know so she kind of knew anyway I went out there and had a look I had a feeling but I couldn't see anything so I you know toddled her off to bed and don't worry and it's just a nice experience Caitlin you know this is just if it was an old lady she's just an old lady and don't worry about her she's not going to hurt you got her off to sleep and then I said to her in the morning are you prepared to talk about this? You know, she and we got the album and she pointed to Ethel. She said, That's who it was. This is this was Ethel. And then from that day on, we started getting stomping on the roof. We had a possum there, but it wasn't that. It was like someone was walking on the roof. And I think that's when it all started for me. And Rob kind of I, he knew that story and he said, No, she followed you. You know, she followed you up to your place. You know, maybe that's what started it. Maybe because I brought her, that that meant for the others that maybe they knew that I could see them or I could hear them. So that was just, I mean, for somebody so randomly to just out of the blue, I did not know this woman from a bar of soap. I I wouldn't even recognise her if I saw her again. It was just this totally weirdest experience. And Um, you were going to the hairdresser to get your hair done and out of the blue this woman 
And it seems like it's really interesting, the connection with the shoemaking and, you know, maybe she was sort of channeling in a way. And I think she must have been. Very interesting. The things that happened to you, Nell. I know, it's weird. It's weird. (laughs) I I might take on that tip, actually, because I've started researching my um, Spanish ancestors' stories as inspiration for my novel. I'm dreaming up at the moment, Nell. Great. great. Maybe I'll, I'll use that trick and see what yeah do be careful what you wish for I mean and I think I sent you a photo probably that was five or six years ago so that where my bookcase out the front I heard that big bang and then all these books had been sideswiped onto the floor you know that's been the only really since um, Rob cleared the place that's been the only really negative I mean, that just was unexplained. I could not explain that. That, that was- photo is very strange. And with your permission, I will share it. As yeah, sure. I publicise this. And I've yeah. got the date on that photo that you sent me. So that was in um, 2013. Was- 13, yeah. We'll see yeah, that. 2013. Yeah, so- but there was yeah. one before we sign off. As recently as 2019, your niece's partner had a really profound oh, experience. Yes, yes. Tell us what happened. Well, it was Christmas and they were sleeping in my front room you know we had bodies everywhere (laughs) and um so they were asleep in the couch they were sleeping on two big leather couches in the front room and Izzy woke up and he could feel this really strong presence in the room and then when he looked a bit harder he said he he saw an indigenous person standing near the fridge and he was coming over towards him and almost leaning over him and hovering and he freaked out He's another one. See, that's my my niece, Gaskitch. They won't stay here now. And he said he's never, and, you know, he is just a guy who, he's French actually, but he's not a person who I would say would have ever thought about ghosts or he was so, and so adamant. But the fact that he came over to him so, so he thought he was going to touch him. He was freaking out. So he woke, woke up my niece and they couldn't see, you know, he'd gone. He couldn't see anything. And I haven't seen that person. So obviously he's got some abilities there or somebody was trying to tell him something. Some, You know, I always believe that there's a reason that, you know, they're showing you themselves, they're trying to tell you something, either to get a message or, you know, just to let you know that they're there. They both are too scared to stay here. So maybe it might even be worthwhile asking Rob again. Maybe some new ones have come to live here. I don't know. Well, <laughs> What's clear from talking to you is that it's sacred ground there, Nell. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's um, it's it is that sense of a portal is is quite apparent as well. And yeah. you're doing, I, f- I feel like you're doing a lovely job of Thank you. stewarding the the place or the portal, yeah. your home, your home for so long. So when you look back today on that very active period of your life. How do you how do you reconcile it? What do you what are your reflections? I think when it was at the height of the activity, I think there was a lot of stress and angst, you know, within our family that was also exacerbated by all the activity. And I always wonder, like, why why did this happen to me? Like, why you know? Because I had had some experiences when I was a smaller child. I've always heard things and seen things and never spoke to anyone about it and just so perhaps it was just the crescendo and I just happened to walk into this space that was you know I think there are many dimensions here 
you know, I think scientists, you know, say there's sort of six dimensions, but, you know, I think they've found that really there are far more than that. And I think that this being this house, everything came at once. It, it freaks me out sometimes, but I think it also, it also gave me the courage in a way to accept that perhaps I have got some abilities that, you know, that are, that are there that I should further develop. And I do feel like, you know, because I'm a writer, I'm a retired teacher now, but, you know, I do feel that there are things that I get feelings of things. It's, it's kind of helped me, you know, with the way I write, with the way I look at the world. And I think you can watch shows on TV and say, oh, you know, ghosts exist and all this. But when you've gone through something like that, you do look at yourself and think, why, was, why did this happen to me? There's got to be a reason. I'm obviously... I've obviously got something here that I've got to develop or I've got there's something that I need to somehow someone's put me here because I've got to realise that there's something. I've got to change something in my life or or do something. I don't know. It's like a big, a big message, you know. So, mm. I mean, I really wouldn't like to go through that again. That was just too. But, I mean, there's, you know, there's things here. I can feel them, you know. They probably know I'm talking about them now. I'm getting a little bit of a cold feeling sitting here but I mean you know that so I think it's special I think I try on a personal level yeah it kind of it kind of made me examine myself and say you know maybe you do have these skills and what's wrong with it because I think you hide it you don't tell people because they think you're nuts first people say oh you've got ghosts yeah ha ha I don't believe in ghosts and all this but maybe it's just a spiritual experience that was meant to happen to me and maybe it's given me things in my life that if I hadn't had those experiences, maybe my life wouldn't have taken the same, I don't know, the same way, you know. And because I'm so interested in history, it was kind of like a culmination of a whole lot of things, you know. Yes. Yeah. Here. I don't know. Um, I think that's a really beautiful, uh, beautiful reflection to end on, that there's something there for you to discover, that it is something that is natural, that's a part of you, that yeah. you know, is asking to be attended to. Yes. And just like yeah. spirits of all of the people that you saw and that are on there on the grounds, they want to be attended to. And so we'll dedicate this episode, I think, to Sylvia Hi. and her friends. Thank you. <laughs> and yes. And we, um, yeah, what a joy to speak with you today, Nell, Thank to have you. our little reunion. Thank you yeah. so much for coming. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It was very interesting to talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review the show. Have an experience you'd like to share with me? Get in touch at my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. <laughs> <laughs>